Have you gotten started investing? Have you made a lifelong commitment first to save money? And then with that money saved, have you made a lifelong commitment to find great companies and great funds that will let your money do what money does when invested well and left alone? Which is that money invested well and left to its own devices makes more money. It's kind of like rabbits. Have you gotten started investing? Well, one month ago, we kicked off the first in a two-part series calling it Get Started Investing. I brought in a talented team of contributors. We gave you the specific steps that you can and must take, and it's not complicated, and there weren't a lot of steps, to empower you to get started investing. And we've heard back from you in emails and on Twitter that many of our listeners who were not previously invested have, in fact, gotten started investing. But we said a month ago, we want to hear back from you. We we can't have covered everything. We can't have nailed it in every case. Let us know your questions. Share your stories. How can we help? And that's exactly why we made this a two-part series, because part two of Get Started Investing is driven 100% by your questions and stories, enabling us to round out this series with the responsiveness that, darn it, we hope you've come to expect from The Motley Fool. So, my talented team is back with one new sidekick added, and we have your questions and thoughts. And this week on Rule Breaker Investing, it's Get Started Investing, part two of two. Support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. And here's the crucial part: if rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, the math shouldn't work this way, but it does. But if rates go down, your rate also drops, so either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. And this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E, molecule.com with a K, and enter the promo code FOOL75. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. So glad you're here with us to start November and to start it right by closing out our series on getting started investing. And I'm really happy to introduce a new friend. Well, it's not a new friend of mine. I've known Rob Crawls for I don't know how many years, Rob. At least five now. At least five now. Uh, I think we got to know each other best maybe on the Activision Blizzard discussion board at Fool.com. Yeah, yeah. It was a lucky break for me catching the attention of the fool because there was a subject that I could actually speak to. So you and I yeah. both lifetime video gamers and yeah. investors in that company. But in the meantime, well, I want to ask Rob a little bit about his background. I want to mention Rob is from Canada and he's coming through the fool because we have our annual offsite here at the Motley Fool Foolapalooza. And Rob was invited this year. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, Rob, you got to come join us for this Get Started Investing podcast because as we're about to hear, part of what you do every day is help people in Canada. Fool Canada Get Started Investing. That's right. But I want to start, Rob, by asking, Rob Kralj, where do you come from? Well, I'm uh, Vancouver born and bred. Um, spent uh, my early professional career basically uh, running printing presses, so come from a blue-collar background. So, like I always like to tell 
folks when I deal with them in exchanges, uh, whenever I'm sharing experiences about investing, that uh, I come from sort of a, uh, here's here's an old reference, but uh, somebody old enough will recognize it anyways. Uh, think of the Rodney Dangerfield regular guy look from Easy Money. Sure. Basically, that's kind of what I bring to the table when I'm talking about investing. I'm not an analyst, but uh, I've been reading the analysts at The Fools for a lot of years. So, um, that, uh, that sort of uh, would help me fall in love with the whole experience of investing. Yes, um, but so anyways, let me ask, let me jump in there, Rob. How did you personally get started investing? Well, I was in as a part of that job that I had in the first place. I was put into uh, in my dad's day. They had retire. Um, they had defined retirement pension plans, but by the time I was working already, they had started putting us into mutual funds instead. Mm. So basically, we had a liaison. He, he, you know, did the old risk reward analysis on me and uh, decided where I should be. They put me into that and. Uh, about the seven-year mark into it, I called them up and I asked for a little direct exchange, and I just said, you know, when I when I do the math, I I see I have a zero percent annualized return. Everything I've put in and my company has matched. Wow, came, came out to a nice even zero. So I so I said, you know, basically, um, what am I doing wrong? Should I be somewhere else? And um, you know, there was some rustling and took a moment, and then came back and said, no, no, everything looks right. It's just you got to understand compounding takes time, and I pointed out that. Compounding at zero, uh, as far as I understand, will take actually forever. So, should I do something different? And I was, again, a little pause, and then I was told, no, you're in the right place. And so, um, about seven years later, again, I got laid off 2008. And uh, at that point, I had access to those funds. As a condition of employment there, I wasn't allowed to touch them. Uh, the Motley Fool has a nice plan where you are allowed to do what you want with your money, which is great. But there I wasn't, so I was stuck with it. So, one more time, when I got laid off and I was going to be able to take it out, I, uh, I did the math one more time. And now, to their credit, they must have gone up about 25 or 30% before this had happened. There was a crash, so obviously everything pulled back. Mm. But I was right back to a nice even 0% annualized mm. so return again. So, you kept saving all the way through, but it and just never grew. No, and someone was making money. It just wasn't me. So, fortunately, at least what I put in and what the company had matched was still there. And then uh, about three years before that had happened, though, I had already started to... Well, I had serious doubts. So, I... Uh, I started um, started up with Stock Advisor uh, with you guys, and uh, actually, I started with Hidden Gems before Stock Advisor. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Bill Mann and Tom back in the day. Yeah, so that was my first bit of exposure. And us Canadians had it hard back then. We used to have to pay thirty dollars a trade back in two thousand and three, while Americans were paying ten bucks. So first of all, diversifying with a small amount of money, and I decided I'm going to test these guys out. I'd read David and Tom's books; very charming writers. They were, you know, uh, seemed very likable. But so were other people who taken my money in my life in, in the past. They're usually quite charming. Ouch. So I wasn't convinced yet, but I thought, you know, I'll try it with a small amount of money and um, see how it goes. And this is what I always tell members when I talk to them, just start small. Don't don't feel like you got to conquer the world all at once. And um, so when I got laid off, I'd been doing this for about three years with the Fools. And I could only diversify about, I think it was six companies wide because mm-hmm. it's 30 bucks a trade. So that cost me almost 200 bucks right there. Understood. And doing the math, I realized it's going to cost me that much to get out of those positions again. So that's quite a cost going in. Luckily, Buffalo Wild Wings was one of those picks. So I think it had done something crazy, like tripled for me in a hurry. Um, two others did okay. Uh, one of Tom's worst picks ever, Select Comfort, was in there, and it, mm-hmm. I, I think I sold that one off at about a. The mattress company it went. It went all the way down to like a penny, but then came pretty much all the way back. It was I an even incredible did, time. Yeah, I even did the old test the mattress in the store bit, and you know, get the, the boots on the ground kind of research, and still I ended up dropping that one. But in the end, what I figured out was three years in, I realized I was doing really well, so I started putting in five hundred bucks a month and decided, you know what, 
I'll keep doing this. So it was at the five-year mark that I'd gotten laid off at the other job. And at that point, I tallied up how I'd performed with the Motley Fool picks, and I doubled my money. So I thought that's quite a bit better than the 0% I'd gotten at the other place. So I took out all that money and basically took put it all into my brokerage account. And I uh, waited uh, uh, basically till I think there were about three consecutive months in 2009 where the market had started going back up. And I decided, okay, it's a good indicator that maybe this is over and we're going up. Oh, that timing was pretty good, Rob. Yeah, so that worked out good. So yeah, And then basically, I dollar cost averaged that money in, the bulk of that money in over the next nine months. And well, that stuff's done pretty phenomenally. Thank you, and I'm so glad to hear you share that part of your story. And thank you, Rob. So it reminds us that really we can come from almost any kind of a background as long as we start asking the right questions and seeking good answers, we can get started investing. And Rob, I know in recent years you've been working for us and with us at Motley Fool Canada. And the reason I wanted you to join our merry band this week is because you spend a lot of time on the phone with members calling in all of whom have investment questions. And I specifically want to ask you, um, is there a particular theme that you can highlight, maybe one or two points or themes, around the people that are calling who are starting investing? Maybe uh, something you should do and something you shouldn't. Well, one sense I get when I actually get chances to talk directly with folks is that a lot of people feel a lot of pressure that they've signed up for the service, so now they have to rush to get things going. So they seem like they feel like they have to they have to conquer the world all in one quick mm. shot. So one of the biggest things to try to reassure them is um, is is that the, the most valuable thing they're going to get out of this is the education here. So even if you spend your first year just reading the content, you could do up a mock portfolio or take a small amount of money and just start testing this. You know, and then I'll, I'll always emphasize something that we we have the a direct. Um, bit of advice from you that's in our frequently asked questions section about uh, you know diversifying 10 12 companies wide uh-huh. so I'll always tell people you know even if you have a small amount of money divide it up a bunch of ways don't load it all up on one stock right so that you can experience the whole up and down you'll see some dropping some going up and it'll give you a better sense and I mean one really scary story was uh, I had a fellow that called in and to his credit he he owned it he owned his mistake um, but he he had told me that he'd put down a, a large chunk of money. Um, it was about forty five grand, I think, on one pick that we'd made at Stock Advisor Canada, and that one happened to be down about forty percent. So it wasn't one of our shining stars. And um, you know, and when he said that to me, my first question to him was, "I hope that's a small amount of money for you personally." And he said, "No, it's actually a really big chunk." And I said, "Okay, well." Very important, and I re-emphasize the diversifying, and this is why we say that, especially with a small company, when, when our analysts emphasize it's a small company that's going to be potentially volatile, mm-hmm. to watch out for that. Yep. And he did, he did own up to it. Uh, when, it when, when it came back a bit, he actually got out, and I think he helped himself out, and he had a really positive attitude, so I got a good feeling that he's probably managed to do well afterwards, but he, it was a hard lesson early. And that's, I think, one of the scarier things is that Folks feel like they to test it. They want to buy just one stock or two mm. to to dip their toes in. Whereas it would be better to buy ten of them, but small small amounts of them. Um, Rob, yeah. that is awesome. Thank you, and that's a great way for us to start this episode where we're getting started investing. So you've just heard from Rob Kralj, and Rob is our full time employee, Motley Fool Canada, one of several in a small but growing uh, ser- set of services we have. We love our Canadian fools, and so we're also going to welcome back my friends, David Kretzman. Jason Moser and Matt Trogdon, and we've all kind of queued up one or two questions that jumped out to us that we've heard from you in the last month, and that's where we're headed next. And we're going to go through these questions, and we're going to do our best. And team, this is my one bit of advice. I said it off the air to you. Say it on the air as well. While it's very natural when you see someone's question to uh, think, I want to answer that person's question really well, 
a problem with talk radio that I've experienced in the past, especially financial talk radio that I've done, is sometimes someone's question is so particular that it really doesn't speak to many other people. So what we're going to try to do in our time together is we're going to take these questions and sometimes just use them as an opportunity, a springboard, to make an important point, maybe sometimes a bigger point about getting started investing. And so, David Kretzman, you seem to be nodding your head vigorously. Let's go. You seem aligned. And so for this reason, I think you should kick us off. So, David Kretzman, what do you got? I got a question from Zach Hynek, and he asks, when you're just getting started investing, how do you evaluate your winners from your losers? Should I only be evaluating my stocks every three years? And how do you know when to cut your losses with a bad stock? Thanks, fools. Well, Zach, that's a great question, and I think you're thinking in the right terms here. I think it's always important to take a step back and remember that business success is measured in years. Uh, great entrepreneurs uh, and leaders like Jeff Bezos at Amazon or Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, these aren't visionary founder CEOs who are thinking in terms of where their business or stock price will be in a month or two. They're thinking in terms of the long term, even in terms of not just years, but even decades. Uh, so, when possible, I think always think in terms of years, not shorter time increments, when you're thinking about measuring whether or not an investment or a company has been successful or not. David, what do you do yourself? Like I know you started investing, you said a month ago on this show, right around the age of 12. Mm-hmm. How, how are you scoring things back then, and has that changed? Well, anytime I buy a stock now, I'm aiming to hold it for at least three years. And that's not unique to me. That's something that we constantly espouse here at The Fool. So I think anytime you buy a stock, if you're starting out, give yourself some timeline that, that, you're, that you adhere to. So I'd say for most people, maybe start out with a year. Or the longer you can make that time horizon, the better. But start with something that seems achievable and not so distant that you don't think you'll be able to um, adhere to it. But think in terms of longer term time increments. Uh, Numerous studies show, as I think we talked about uh, last month ago on our first podcast here, uh, the longer you hold stocks, the better off you'll tend to be. So, when in doubt, hold longer. Um, and then, then Zach also basically addresses the question like, how do you know when to cut your losses or when to sell a stock? I think it's a lot easier to know when to buy a stock, but I think we have a tougher time answering when exactly to sell a stock. But a couple reasons I'd throw out there. Number one, if you don't believe in the company anymore, if you're not excited about the company, if you think, taking a step back, that this company doesn't have a good chance of being an outperforming business or stock over the long term, maybe you want to part ways with it. And then number two, depending on your circumstances or your life situation, if you have limited capital to invest and you see better places for your money than a given stock, maybe that's a time to nudge closer to selling. But in general, I'd say you want to err on the side of holding, not not looking to rush and sell companies. We have to remember that even good businesses can be underperforming stocks over months or even you know a year or two. Uh, David, I know you've talked a lot about your history with Amazon or, or Netflix or any any of these great companies and phenomenal long-term investments. These companies will have periods where their share prices are down 50% or more in the period of, of months or years. But if you find a great business, uh, you, you hold over a multi-year period, or ideally decades, you'll tend to do pretty well if you have that diversified basket of great individual companies. And Matt Trogdon, I'm thinking about how you, working on our Motley Fool asset management side of our business, our sister company, but I'm thinking about, is the answer different if we're talking about funds versus stocks here? Like, would you look at your fund? What's an appropriate amount of time to let a fund win or lose for you before you decide, I should hold on to that, or I should exit? I think it is probably different um, judging a fund versus judging a stock, but I do think that people are, um, you know, have just as 
hard of a time judging if a stock is performing well as they do if a fund is performing well. The data will show that people will chase fund performance just as well as they'll chase stock performance. Um, I think what David brought up was, was a good point. I think when we get these types of questions, a lot of times folks are looking for a number. You know, if this stock drops twenty percent, should I get out? If this stock drops thirty percent, you ever notice that those are always round numbers, by yeah. the way, as well? <laughs> yeah. What is it about that? I don't but, know what that is. But I think the answer is much more qualitative than it is quantitative. So if you um, if you believe if you no longer believe that the company can do what you thought it could do when you first invested in it, then that would be a time. Um, and that would be much more important than whether the stock price has dropped twenty percent or twenty two percent to take off that round number or not. And a common quote that will come up uh, from Benjamin Graham, who is the mentor of Warren Buffett, is, in the short term, the market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. So, in the short term, you're, you're going to inevitably see that volatility. And as I mentioned, even great businesses will see their share prices fluctuate a lot. And that's not necessarily reflective of the progress of the underlying business. So, as Capital F Fools, we're always focusing on the long-term ongoing progress of the underlying company. And eventually, the stock price will reflect the performance of that business for better or worse, and we hope for better uh, more than not. Awesome. I want to say more, but I also want to get on to more questions. So, Jason, <laughs> what what question have you brought to the table here? Yeah, this was one that actually uh, hit a little bit close to home, and I'll explain a little bit more in just a moment once I read Aaron uh, Aaron's question here. The question's from Aaron Watterson, and Aaron says, "Hi, I love the show. Thanks. Um, I'm newer to stock investing and can only allocate a certain amount of money into stocks. Since I can't add." To my money in stocks. How do you recommend reallocating the money when you want to invest in a new stock? Uh, Aaron then goes on to mention I have subscriptions to Sock Advisor and Rule Breakers and love the information given, but feel uncertain as to when the best time is to buy. A lot of information is given as to what stocks to buy and a general idea, but I feel uncertain if the current price of the stock is the correct price to buy. I've purchased a couple of recommendations, only to have the price drop. I'm not sure if I'm missing some key information or if the idea of long-term investing is to just jump in and go for the ride. So, a few questions in there. And what I meant by hitting close to home, the service I used to work on, Million Dollar Portfolio, we dealt with this fixed income problem. And it was something that, you know, when you have a portfolio where you're not adding money, to that portfolio regularly or at all, uh, and, and many people actually do have that situation, then it becomes a little bit, uh, it just requires a little bit more consideration as to how you're going to manage that portfolio in buying and selling. And I think it's fair to say that you probably will do less uh, buying and selling, and, and hopefully more buying and, and less selling altogether. Uh, what we found oftentimes when we wanted to reallocate money, uh, we were doing one of two things, either harvesting some gains from a winner, because we felt like there was an opportunity that existed uh, where we thought that money could, could grow considerably more mm-hmm. in another investment, or perhaps there was, a, there was a stock and investment that hadn't worked out. You know, David was mentioning, uh, maybe you don't have the conviction, uh, or perhaps it's just not a story that's, that's ended up working out the way uh, you hoped it would. It happens to us all more often than we'd probably like to admit. Uh, so, I think the key, though, is to understand that, generally, the way that we invest 
we approach it with that three to five year time horizon. So when you make that purchase, you really do want to make that purchase with the the idea that you're going to own that stock for at least three years. And so it it may very well be that you're not going to be doing a lot of buying and selling, um, and, and that can oftentimes be a good thing. Now, in regard to the subscriptions. Uh, I feel compelled to mention that with Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers, one of the greatest features of these two services, uh, to my mind, is the Best Buys Now feature. And so, when Aaron asks the question of what stocks to buy and what is the correct price, well, every month you're going to get 10 Best Buys Now from both, both services. So, 10 from Stock Advisor, 10 from Rule Breakers. And those are the opportunities that the teams on those services recognize as the most timely opportunities. Right now, and that means go ahead and buy them. They're giving you that green light to go ahead and buy at that price. If you see that price dip a little bit the next day, it's okay. David made mention of the of the voting machine versus the weighing machine, and that really is is what that is all about. You'll see those prices fluctuate in the near term, but really, it is more about that longer term, mm. three to five year time horizon. Uh, Rob, I'm wondering when you take calls for Fool Canada or answer an email. Roughly what percentage of the people reaching out to you have, as Jason said, sort of a fixed situation? No more money coming in, maybe at or at retirement, near retirement. Roughly what portion? Um, well, I, I get the sense, just dealing with so many uh, so many members, that a lot of them are closer to retire- retirement age. So, uh, I would imagine that would be the case for quite, quite a number of people. Mm. And, um, uh, and, and also to, to um, Jason's and and uh, David's points about the uh, stock price right off the bat. Um, it's one common thing that comes up at member services all the time is I had somebody just recently um, uh, email in saying that, you know, the last few months, uh, you guys aren't doing that well. And you guys were, you know, it looks like you, you did great a few years ago, but now you're not doing that well. And that speaks to exactly the point these guys are making. I actually emphasized to them, yeah, well, if you look at our first two years at Stock Advisor Canada, for instance, you'll see how well we've done. And I to offer them context, I said that, you know, back in those first two years, we were trailing the market the entire time. So, we didn't look good then either, right, to people. But the thing is that a lot of people don't understand that when, when our analysts are seeking out bargains, the bargain doesn't end being a bargain the day they recommend it. Sometimes it becomes an even better bargain in the coming months afterwards. So, you know, I'd really try to emphasize the point that time is the whole key here. It's the reason those have done so well is now they've had the time to ferment, if you will, and uh, you know, turn out to be great investments. Yeah. This could be the case with all of the last ones, because the market's been kind of you know, pretty uneven for the last few months, right? So, Speaking of things that strike close to home, Jason, just on a total side note, about a year ago this time, I believe your alma mater, playing men's basketball against mine, <laughs> Wofford came into the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, into the Dean Dome, and pulled off a stunning upset. The unthinkable. Yes, the unthinkable. So, you and I are taping this. Our whole team is taping this on Monday afternoon because we're doing it a couple days early this week. So we don't know what will have happened at this point, <laughs> but Tuesday night, sure yeah. enough. For those listening last night, but for you and me tomorrow night, we have a rematch. Big game at Wofford, too. It's going to be uh, it is at what, now. Are you going to be there? I'm not, but you know, it's interestingly enough, I am going down to Wofford next Tuesday. I'm going to go speak to some finance students down there uh, on Wednesday uh, just about the work that we do here and, and whatnot. That and is awesome. I am going to uh, aim to go to the game on Tuesday evening there when I get uh, I'll get down there. Well, I definitely night, hope so. Wofford wins that one, <laughs> yeah. right? It's well, the Terriers, right? It's it the is terriers? the Terriers, yeah. God yes. love it. So I hope Tiny. the Terriers are on fire that night, but not tomorrow night slash last night tiny tiny school but uh you know it's a big event certainly for them i I saw a lot of uh video footage of students waiting to get those tickets for that game it's going to be a big one well it's great to hear that you're basically going down back to spartanburg south carolina 
helping people get started thinking about investing in, in businesses. I'm excited. Like, so good for I'm you. I'm excited to do it. All right, Matt Trogdon, what, do you, what have you brought? What Q&A did you see from the pile that we want to speak to next? Okay, I have a question, uh, actually two questions from Darren Littlewood. So thank you, Darren. Uh, he says, hi, David. Uh, he says, I recently started a saving plan for the next 10 years. That's awesome. Uh, I've considered investing in equities before, but the idea of constantly analyzing charts did not appeal to me. That's okay, Darren. It doesn't appeal to me either. Um, he says, my plan is to allocate a percentage of my savings each month to the stock market and to build a small portfolios of companies that feel right to me. Then he goes on and says, he's not going to be too concerned with financials at first. He wants to stick to sectors that he understands, or at least companies whose visions he understands. And then he plans to add to companies that he thinks are showing growth and to hold off on companies that are flat or losing value. Um, he says, he understands that this is a simple plan, and so he wanted to ask, "Is it a good plan?" Um, so I would say, you know, Darren, I might even try to simplify simplify this plan further. I think simple is good. Nice. Um, so I wouldn't base my decision on uh, whether to add to a particular company on, um, you know, whether it's growing or not, whether its stock price is growing or not, especially if uh, analyzing. Uh, financials is not something that appeals to you. Uh, I think if you're just starting out, I would just try to, to build up a diverse group of stocks and companies that you know well um, and find in interesting. And if you don't want to do that, then I would just look for a low-cost index fund um, and add money to that each month. Um, his second question is also interesting to me. He says, would there be any advantage in adding large sums every three months over small sums every month? Um, and so, Darren, I would say I don't see an advantage here. Uh, I actually see a potential disadvantage, and that is just because of um, you know how we are, how our brains work, um, and the importance I think in just developing habits. So, when you're just starting out investing, I think it's important to to turn it into a habit. Uh, and I think you'll have a lot more luck doing that if you invest every month than if you hold off until every three months. Um, I also worry that if you hold off until every three months, um, that bigger pile of money will start to look appealing to you for other uses. So you might find other things mm. you want to spend it on. Um, so I think if you uh, if you make it a habit to invest every month, uh, you'll have better better luck doing it that way. And then as to add a third point there, I would try to make it as automatic as possible. So I would try to hook up your brokerage account to your bank account. Um, so then that deposit comes in from your bank account every month automatically, uh, so you don't have to make that decision over and over again. Matt, I really liked where you started there with Darren, because uh, I like simple, and I like that you simplify that further. And Darren, I, I, I don't think that you have to be uh, a numbers junkie or somebody who feels very comfortable uh, clicking around financial statements to get started investing. I hope that's very clear in this series that we've produced, starting last month and then with this one. Um, Truly, just thinking about what are companies that you respect. I did hear you read off, Matt. You said Darren said he's looking for companies that sort of lead to a better world. He said something that he feels good about, right? Companies whose visions he understands. Yeah, so that that's really great. So here's like a random smattering of four companies that I just think of as stocks, but think about the products behind them. So how about like Boston Beer, Sam Adams, Sam Adams Beer. I mean, a lot of people I think could recognize Sam Adams Beer. You can buy stock in that. How about Mad Men, the television show, outstanding show? I'm somewhere mired in like season. Three. I don't know if you guys have watched all, seen all the way through this one. Rob, have you ever watched Mad Men? I have not. I have a cousin who raves about it, but I have not. Gotten there we go. To. AMC Networks is the public company behind Mad Men. And then, how about 
let's go a different place. Trex. How about outdoor decking? I mean, Trex, T-R-E-X, it's both the company name and ticker symbol. I think a lot of people haven't heard of that one. But for those of us who do, we recognize this is a very innovative outdoor decking company, making stuff that looks like wood, but does a lot better against the rain and uh, and the elements. So that's been a tremendous winner, a smaller company. And then again, to close my little random list of four companies that we can all admire, Wayfair. I mean, there's a company that is kind of like Amazon, but they're selling you furniture. And they're, 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 they're really focused on furniture, furniture sales online and e-commerce. So there's just a nice smattering of, like you got Sam Adams, and you've got Mad Men, and then you've got Trex, which many of us may have just heard about for the first time, and then Wayfair, which is a site that perhaps you've ordered something, uh, Darren, before from. Or if you haven't, take a look, because that's one of our stocks, and we want everybody <laughs> to buy from it and do well with it. But so I think a lot of this is just about getting in touch with the companies that you like, and you find out, oh, that's public. I didn't know Sam Adams was Boston Beer, ticker symbol S-A-M. And you can become a part owner. And Matt, as you said, diversifying, so you're not just loading it all up on, on one stock, is, is such a big big thing. I agree. If you're starting out and, you're, and you want to go towards the path of buying individual stocks, I think buying companies that you're interested in and that you understand and can follow is definitely the way to go. All right, before we go on, support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Hey, let's do it. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days, and it's no doubt causing anxiety among some of our fellow fools. So our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that, and they're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, your assets, and your credit in less than 24 hours. And that gives you a verified approval, which basically gives you the strength of a cash buyer. So once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive rate shield approval. And first, they're going to lock your rate for up to 90 days while you're shopping. And now here's the best part. If rates go up, which they have been recently, your rate's going to stay the same. If rates go down, which I think we all root for, that helps the stock market too, then your rate also drops. So either way, sounds to me like you win. And it's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. So to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. And... A quick thanks to Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for people who suffer from allergies and asthma in particular. So Molecule, that's with a K, has introduced a breakthrough science that's finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level, which to a non-scientist like me, that still sounds really impressive and highly effective. So Molecule makes a real difference, you betcha, for asthma and allergy sufferers, helping them better cope with their conditions and significantly reducing their symptoms. One customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she's able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. I don't know who she is, but I do know Jim Mueller, our analyst here at The Motley Fool. He's been on this podcast, for example, and Jim's actually purchased a couple of these devices now. So, Molecule is a clean and sleek design. We have one here at Full HQ. It looks great. It was here in the studio before Chris Hill stole it. He returned it. Now it's somewhere else. Anyway, Molecule is also easy to use. It has a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. And to get $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E. 
Molecule.com and enter the FOOL75 promo code. That's Molecule.com and use the promo code FOOL75. All right, next, Rob, I want to kick it to you. What Q&A do you bring here to the table? Well, um, as um, I know that you like to pronounce names properly, and so I, I try. I, yeah, so I I had to Google this one, and and I didn't get a lot of help from Google, but I, I saw a suggestion that that kind of made sense to me. So I'm going to try this uh, an, uh, a message a question here from Pede Ewing, um, spelled P-E-D-E-E. So excellent. I went, went with Pede. Okay, I, good. I'm hoping Pede that that's all right, and uh, that it's at least close to close to correct. You gave your best shot, and that's all, all right. we can ever ask on this show. So. Uh, uh, Pade opens with, hello, I started uh, listening on October 25th and have been through the latest pod, uh, podcast episodes. I'm 27, uh, first in my family to start investing. Great. Uh, started investing this year with Robinhood around 1K. Can safely budget $100 a couple times a month. Um, sounds like a good plan. And we sort of touched on that already a little bit here, how, why that is. Um, he mentions that steps one to three on the show are uh, perfect, make total sense. However, being so new to investing, uh, struggle with understanding the end goal. When do I know I've done a good job? How do I review my investing decisions? My previous naive notion was to buy low, sell high, and repeat. But hearing your wisdom in becoming a lifelong investor, how do I periodically assess that I'm on the right track? Also, when's an okay time to take my money out and profit? So David had touched on some of this already as far as tracking how, how you're doing. One of the things that I've really made great use of is the uh, the scorecard on the um, on the U.S. service sites. Um, it allows you to track your performance against the S&P 500. And where I find a lot of comfort with my own portfolio is I've just recently gone through a spell where my I, I own a lot of rule breakers and a lot of companies that yeah, David so has recommended. Yeah, so it's been so, a tough month or two for yeah, us, I've, Rob. I've, uh, when you've commented on it recently, I've nodded uh, yeah. because I've been sharing that experience. I took about 20% shaving off my entire portfolio in uh, two weeks. Yeah. So it was yeah. really huge. And where I find comfort in that situation is I right away go look at how I'm tracking against the S&P. And what I saw was, sure enough, I have a very high beta portfolio now because once upon a time it was 50-50 blue chips and rule breakers. And after about a decade, it is now about 70% rule breakers and 30% blue chips, simply by virtue of the fact that those have grown way faster than my blue chips. Um, and I'm also one of those people who doesn't add money to the portfolio uh, at this point. So mm-hmm. I have to manage these things and I've chosen not to do the trimming. So mm-hmm. Netflix is now a very large portion of my retirement right. portfolio. So when it has a bad, when it sneezes, and we it all did. feel that. I mean, it dropped about a hundred bucks a share in a very quick uh, period of time. So first thing I do is I look at uh, the scorecard and I see that, yes, I dropped faster than the S&P 500, but I also keep in perspective that in the last two and a half years, I had dramatically outperformed the S&P. So I'd already been bracing for and expecting this trim back for me that I'll get punished pretty pretty well when the time comes for a trim back. So that's always a good thing to watch, how you perform against the S&P 500. Um, the other... Um the other thing, and by the way, great that today is 27 years old and doing this because uh, they've started way ahead of a lot of people, and the biggest advantage is, of course, time. So they've already got that going for them. Um, let's see. And then, then with regard to the end goal, well, the end goal, most people investing, the end goal is financial freedom. So being able to retire earlier. Um, so in terms of when it's okay to take the money out, I always think of uh, a little exchange my wife and I have. Whenever I tell her that, hey, we had a great week this week, Netflix or whatever just jumped this much. So her first uh, cheeky remark is, so can I go buy that purse today? And I always have to <laughs> emphasize to her that, uh, well, no, this is the reason that, that wealthy people have money is they don't immediately spend something the moment they make it. So How does that go? 
It goes okay. She's, okay. She's, she's still buying it right now. And I keep reassuring her that down the line, we will enjoy this money a lot more, but we first need that money to make more money with. So you got to leave it in there. Now, there may come a time, today is starting so young, like my older son, uh, who I got started at 19, uh, may come, come at a time, uh, you know, even in maybe in the early 40s, where they realize that, wow, I've got quite a bit saved up already. And it might be an adequate time, especially if you're inside a TFSA in, in Canada, for instance, a tax-free savings account. Tax-free um, savings account. Yeah. Okay. It's yep. easier to pull out without consequences, uh-huh. right? So yep. that might turn out to be a great option at some point in time. Um, what I always do, again, in, in my mind, if I was to start doing that, is first thing I would calculate is, okay, if I take a, a little game I like to play, because I'm also a gamer. So I always like to extrapolate using a simple compound interest calculator. At the current rate that I've averaged for the last 15 years, where will the amount of money I have today put me at 65? So I always play that game. So whatever that annualized return shows, that's the number I input always. So after this beating, it's a lower number, I put that in. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that way I'm consistent in my evaluation. Um, So at some point when I wanna take the money out, I would then subtract that money out of it, input the numbers of what I have left, that uh, that figure, see where I'll be when I retire. And then I know if I can really afford to take some of that money out right now. So that might be an interesting strategy that's, uh, that's simple enough to do. Well, my hope for your wife is that at some point, you're saying, yes, yes, go get that purse. That is the dream. We will yeah. get to that point, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're already at a point now where the portfolio's done so well that um, that any... You certainly could probably afford a purse. Well, instead of... That's why I stopped putting money in now. I've gotten to a point where I realize that, hey, if this continues and I know what I'm doing and it's right, then I'm going to have plenty when I get to retirement age. And if it's if I'm wrong, well, then why keep pouring good money after bad? I have no no inclination to think that I am wrong, but mm-hmm. everything feels great going forward. But still, that's sort of why I'm already at that stage. Not quite pulling out money yet, but I stopped putting in. That's the first step. So, Rob, I really appreciate that perspective. And especially, the reason I'm delighted Rob got to join us this month is because he's every day spending time. He keeps playing up his Rodney Dangerfield self. And you know, why not? Because yeah. you know, you're a better looking guy, Rob. You and I know it. But regardless... Bless your heart. High, high praise. <laughs> but regardless, you really are every day talking to real people there at all different stages of life who have questions like the ones we're trying to tackle this week. So, all right, well, great job, and thank you, Padea Ewing, and thank you, Rob Kralsch. And I'm going to bounce past it right back to David Kretzman. Now, I do want to make it clear, there are two Davids on this podcast, so occasionally we're hearing, as David said earlier, and if you're a new listener, you might be confused what's going on. The intelligent things so far this week have been said by David Kretzman. Oh, David, you're too kind. (laughs) Who is one of the Davids. And then there's the MC, more of the Alex Trebek figure, the guy just lobbing stuff in from left field. But David, you've been killing it so far. And I want you to only up your game now with what I just, I passed the ball, take another shot. All right. Well, we got another question here from Catherine Barrett. And she says that she works full time, but I'm not currently able to log into my brokerage account when the markets are open. So far, I've just been selecting which stock to buy the night before and setting it for a market order the next day. I know the price can change, and I get a warning message about this each time I do it, but I don't see any other option. It hasn't backfired on me yet, but I'm still new to this. Is this method too risky? Is there a smarter way to buy stocks for people whose jobs don't allow for buying during the day? Thanks again for sharing your wisdom and positivity. It's a great question. I think uh, I agree, Catherine. There's probably other people who are in this boat where uh, you know the market's only open 9:30 to 4 p.m. Eastern uh, most weekdays, uh, and, and you might be working during that time, not able to log in. So, the the approach that Catherine mentioned, where she's basically just saying, "I'll buy this stock tomorrow when the market opens," that's a pretty good approach when you're talking about larger, more established companies. So, if you're doing that approach with a company like Apple or Alphabet or Disney, you're pretty safe doing that. 
uh, because what we're talking about here is distinguishing between a couple different ways that you can order or buy stocks. Uh, you have market orders, which is basically saying, I'll buy this stock uh, from the next person who sells it to me. Usually, that's right around the most recent listed price of a stock when you look up yeah. the, uh, the stock quote. So, if it's during the market day, it's going to happen instantaneously. That's your market order. It's going to fill, assuming it's a big liquid company. And mm-hmm. if it's at night, it'll just be the very first second of the next morning. Yeah. So, so for those bigger companies, companies that are probably worth at least $10 billion or so, you're probably going to be pretty safe because most of those companies, any given day, will have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of shares changing hands each each day. So the volume or the liquidity is really high. Uh, but you also might want to look into limit orders, which is basically setting a price, and you're saying, "I won't buy this stock at anywhere above this price." So if it's a ten dollars stock, and you're comfortable paying anywhere up to say ten dollars and fifty cents. The night before, you could set a limit order for ten dollars fifty cents, and that would be the maximum price you pay for a stock. You don't necessarily need to do that for those bigger companies out there, the Apples or the Disney's of the world. But if you're starting to deal with mid caps or small caps companies that are maybe five to ten billion dollars or less in market value, those companies won't be quite as liquid. There won't be as many shares changing hands, and the danger there is if use a market order with one of those smaller companies, you can end up paying an arbitrarily higher price. Instead of paying $10 or $10.50 a share, you might pay $11.50 to someone who's <laughs> all of a sudden especially happy that they were able to find someone to um, uh, buy shares at, at that higher price. So, that's really the main distinction between market orders and limit orders. Usually, it's not a huge deal if you do either one, but if you are looking at a smaller company, I would stick with a limit order. Really nice job of breaking that down, David. And this is, I would say, if we did Get Start Investing 101 a month ago with part one of this series, that's Get Start Investing 102, where we're starting to talk about you know the difference between one type of order when you're buying a stock and another one. Obviously, we have a lot of resources at Fool.com. If you were just to Google, I'm making this up, but Motley Fool Limit Order, I bet you're going to find one or more articles that talk about that. We have our 13 Steps to Investing Foolishly. Anybody can Google that and find a lot of Get Start Investing material and info and perspective from us. Some of us have contributed to writing some of those steps. So, so there are definitely a lot of resources at the 102 level that we're not going to be able to fully cover in this series, but they're all there on our website. David, do you use limit orders these days? Usually, I'll use a limit order just out of habit. And usually, I, I, it's not necessarily that I'm trying to pay a lower price for the stock than what's been most recently quoted, but I'll just set a limit order, you know, let's say, like 1% above where the current stock is. And there's not really any rhythm or reason to that. Right. It's just, I want to. usually when I'm buying the stock, I want to buy it that day. So, I, I just don't want to pay an arbitrarily higher price. Um, so, I'll definitely do it with those smaller companies, like hmm. I mentioned. But even with the bigger companies, just out of habit, I'll, I'll wow. set a limit order, usually just a few cents above where the Anybody stock else? recently was. Who else around the table goes limit or market? I do exactly what David does, actually, just to make sure something crazy didn't happen in the next 15 minutes when I wasn't watching. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, we, we always talk about how the market loves certainty and hates uncertainty. Well, as an investor, I like certainty as well. And I feel like a limit order can just give me a little bit more certainty. That's hilarious. And the only reason I'm laughing, and I haven't heard from Matt yet, but. I haven't used a limit order for at least 20 years. I just go market order every time. I'm just like, I oh, how's that who cares? done for you, David? I mean, it's, come on. It's, yeah, it's done fine. But I, but I, well, I think you're being sarcastic right. in a nice way. You're <laughs> suggesting that I've done well. I think we all have done well over the last 20 years. But but really, I can't say that I've 
done necessarily well with the fills that I get on my buys and my sells. I mean, I'm typically picking stocks that are liquid and well-known companies, and I'm only ever generally buying stocks that I recommend to all of our members. And we try to go with stocks that you'd recognize and not put you in some bizarre contortion to find some company that only exists at a limit order a certain hour of a certain day in a certain country, right? We're trying to be as helpful as possible. But anyway, it's just, I I thought most of us were going to be market order guys, and you know, (laughs) David was going to be the oddball, but it turns out I'm with you. Matt, I'm, okay, I'm okay, good. Guy, okay, yeah. good. Okay. Well, you know, in, in theory, we're hoping that you're going to be buying stocks that you're going to hold for five, ten years, right? And so, you know, if, if you get the stock at, you know, ten and a quarter versus ten and three eighths, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, I think we're all right, right? Just like there's no one better type of music between classical and rock, right? They're both, they're all great. And some people want to play classical sure. and some people want to rock. I think my reaction is just a fear of the rise of the machines. So I'm just making sure that nothing insane happens. Yes, full Good. control. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Unless the machine itself, with its limit order, botches it or somehow starts to yes, I guess that could starts to get too. after you, even with your limit order thinking. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that was a great job breaking that down, David. All right. Next one up. We're getting near the end here. I think we have two left. Matt. Sure. Uh, this one comes from Nathan DeWinkle from Lansing, Michigan. Um, you know, I've never been to Michigan. Here it's nice, though. East Lansing is where Michigan State University That's right. is based. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Is, Lansing Lansing's is the capital, the capital yeah. of the state. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, I feel like we've been there, Matt, together. We had a moment there. <laughs> that was it. I loved my visit to Lansing with you. It was nice, wasn't <laughs> Next it? Next time, I hope to maybe see East Lansing, where the Michigan State University is, and we could watch a basketball game. Cause maybe we could. I know you're a graduate of the University of Virginia, which is a perennial top 10 basketball team now these days for men, and Michigan State's pretty That's much there right. with you guys. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, Nathan says, David, hello. Uh, I'm just getting into investing beyond my 401k, so I'm guessing he's been investing in the 401k for a while. Uh, I've become a Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor member, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, and he has a couple of questions. Um, one of them I, I think I can handle on my own. The second one I would be interested in hear what the table has to say. Um, the first one he says, is there a target portfolio and how should a portfolio be broken down by different sectors or types of stocks or investments? Um, this is a great question. I really like this one because this is something I think about a lot in my own personal investing. Um, and I like to use the model portfolios that were developed here at The Fool by retirement expert Robert Brokamp, uh, who's also the co-host of uh, Motley Fool Answers. Um, so, Nathan, I'm assuming that you are uh, that you have more than 10 years left before your retirement. Um, so, for someone like you, assuming you, uh, Bro advocates uh, 25% of your portfolio for large-cap stocks, 15% each for mid-cap and small-cap, 30% to international, 10% to alternatives like real estate, and 5% to bonds or cash. Um, so those are just guidelines, um, of course, and everyone's situation is different, but I think it's helpful to have guidelines like that. Uh, and I know when I think about my own personal investing, I'm less of a stock picker and more of a an allocator. I know that if, if I look at my allocation and my um, my large caps have gone way out of whack. I'll try to pare them down, or if I don't have enough international stocks, I'll try to bring that up. Over the last year, I've realized that I have almost zero invested in bonds, and so maybe it was time to get some bonds. And so my 401k contributions have been going towards a bond fund um, over the last year. So that's something I try to think about. So that's you can go and search for model portfolios. 
uh, on the internet and you'll find uh, a lot of different suggestions, um, but that's just one. Um, the other one was really interesting to me. I'd be interested to hear what you guys all have to say. Uh, Nathan says he's committed to investing a little each month, and he wants to know, is it better to add to current positions or to develop new ones? Now, me personally, I, I went back and forth on this. I would say, I think it's a matter of personal preference, but I would take a stand and say, for someone who's newer to picking stocks, I would spread it around among different positions. Because I think the what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to put it all in one stock and then have something bad happen to that stock and then get turned off from the game forever. Um, but I know there might be different opinions on that. Yeah, I'd say if you're starting out, I, I agree with Matt. Uh, your, your focus should be initially diversifying across the base, I would say, of at least 20 companies if you're going that route of individual stocks. Maybe once you're at 20, 25, 30 companies, then you can start reevaluating and see, okay, maybe instead of adding an additional new position, there's something I want to add to my original stake and bump up that allocation. So I would start with that. And David, this might be an appropriate time to bring up the Gardner Kretzmann continuum and, when we're talking about the number of stocks. Here it is. And this is obviously one of the most important, I think, investing developments of 2018. David, if Absolutely. you'd share a little bit more, please. Sure. So this is something we came up with earlier this year on this podcast. On you this very Dave, podcast. The Daves combined minds and came together to come up with the Gardner Kretzmann continuum, which basically is taking your age divided by, or it's taking the number of stocks you own divided by your age. And ideally, you have a score of one, and I think we or higher, one or higher. So ideally, you know, so if you're 30 years old, we're saying yeah, you might want to have at least 30 stocks. If you're 50, at least 50. Um, so that's just one way to think about diversification. Obviously, it's just a fun way, but increasingly important metric out there in the investment yeah, well, community. Yeah, well, I think part of it is just the name itself, the Gardner Kretzmann Continuum. Obviously, has a, a weightiness to it that I think really makes it possibly. Enterable for a Nobel Prize down the line at some point if, hey, if I'm, I'm this kind on. of work continues to come out of. Was there ever discussion of perhaps the Kretzman Gardner continuum? <laughs> I mean, I just out of curiosity. No, I mean David was the host of the podcast, so I deferred to him coming up with Gardner Kretzman continuum. And but... I believe history will show that I kind of I think I invented the phrase literally on the spot. <laughs> so so there was no premeditation, but that's how some of again the best Nobel Prize winning work I think happens is you know a Nobel Prize winning novelist. Those words are just coming out of him or her, right? It's not heavily premeditated. Novels don't go through multiple drafts, do they? <laughs> also, by by virtue of the the uh, the definition of it, uh, David is older and will have a um, larger collection mm. of stocks. Mm, so right, I should, yeah. I should, mm. I should, yeah. I do. Yeah. So, uh, slightly more seriously, I still yes, the concept of the Gardner Kretzmann continuum that you should have a number of investments at or above your age gets a fifteen-year-old and. Jason, I know your girls are getting near that age. For they example. are, yeah. That's yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because so I was going to use them as the uh, as sort of the benchmark here for me because they are 12 and 13. They probably fall right at about one. I think they have around 12 different holdings now. But the awesome. rule that we set up for them, uh, they started investing at around six and seven or five and six or something like that. And once they buy one holding. It's off the table. Then they have to buy a new company, and so once they bought Starbucks, it was no longer under consideration. They they now have to buy something else, and and the reason for that was absolutely diversity. I mean, That's I wanted great. to give them to build a, a diverse portfolio of holdings that they wouldn't have to sit there and worry about. And 
everybody's risk tolerance is a little bit different. I I definitely don't fall uh, on the the Gardner Kretzmann continuum at one. I'm I'm lower. Uh, I, I feel like I probably have You're a little bit more of a risk tolerance. still welcome to the table here. I have a little bit of higher risk tolerance, I will admit. <laughs> uh, but I, I think for most people, the way that you more or less make yourself immune to these market gyrations, I mean, you just you never know what's going to happen. Diversity really does change that factor. I mean, mm-hmm. it just it just changes everything for you. So if you have a nice diverse, uh, diversified portfolio, it it really takes a lot of the thinking yeah. out of it. So well, and before we go to our last one, and Rob, you're going to bring that to the table. I do want to just mention in in a. Part one of this series, of this two-part series, we talked a little bit more about getting kids invested, and we reflected that a lot of us had had gotten invested ourselves because our parents had started us. And so, Jason, just thinking about what you're doing for your daughters, Rob, you mentioned earlier your 19-year-old son. Um, I've done some for, for my kids as well. Uh, so, one of the best ways to get others started investing, which is the point of this series, is to ask who around me is close to me because they're probably family to me and they might be younger than I am and am I getting him her them started investing and so a lot of the good work that's being done by this series I think in part is often most easily and effectively done when you're getting younger people started that you care about so yeah the, the story of uh, your uncle helping you and Tom get started was one of the first exposures I got to that and then listening to these podcasts all the time I hear I've heard Jason talk about his daughters a lot so uh, and then there's David Kretzmann. this is neat this is, there is quite a continuum here David Kretzmann, on the other hand is the one of the models him and Aaron are the two models I hold up for my 10 year old who is uh, whether he likes it or not listening to these podcasts when we drive around before he gets his music so so Zach my is it uh, nice to hear dad Zach yeah, how about yeah, it it's yeah, dad with us this time he'll be excited to hear this yeah and and he, uh, as, as uh, Jason was just saying, actually, I started him off at, at a, uh, early on, too, and he's got about 10 stocks in there now, and he's 10 years old now. So, he's on the continuum. I am, though, more like... There's uh, something to this, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I am more with Jason, personally. I have a, I have a kind of a, a rigid... I like to run my portfolio as a team. So, I think of it as like a sports team, basically. And I've got okay. my rookies, my yep. experienced veterans, and I like to keep that roster at about 30 companies. And part of that is just because I don't want to have to keep thinking about all the other companies. Now... I know that in in a lot of your cases you've got stocks that have just sort of languished and they're very small positions. You That's don't pay right. Much yeah, some to. of my fifty or so are, yeah. are ones that I don't follow nearly as much, and they're not they don't count for nearly as much. Yeah. So yeah. that that may well happen with my portfolio down the road as well, and I can see certainly the reasoning behind it. But I do like to keep it at um, at a sort of a limit. Now, the the one question that I had here also fits into this, and and clearly the two things that whenever I talk with members, I, I always share the two most important things of all are are basically patience if you want to succeed at this. So, that means allowing the time that this takes to succeed. And the other is obviously diversification, which has come up in many forms so far here. And the question I have is from a uh, Patrick Hoffman, which who also asked, could you kindly provide a brief strategy regarding di- diversification in a new portfolio? We've covered quite a bit of that here. Um, though, so, I'll just add one little thing to that, mm-hmm. and that's that uh, um, when I do get a chance to talk directly with people, uh, I always emphasize, uh, for everybody, it's different. So, for me, I'm quite comfortable with the volatility that I experienced with this pretty high beta portfolio that I already alluded to earlier. Um, but for somebody newer, I, I don't think that would be easy to tolerate at all. Um, also, for someone closer to retirement age, they may be looking for very different things. They, they may want uh, income. They may want a dividend-paying stock. So, um, I always tell people to think in terms of what, how they judge themselves in terms of how they're going to handle risk and reward. Would they be more comfortable if they had a nice, slow, steady gain, but something that didn't fluctuate? 
fluctuate violently during a bad time in the market versus if they think they could handle a lot more volatility and they're willing to trade that stability for the potential benefit down the road. And and I'll always emphasize, if you're new to it, try not to assume that you can handle the volatility too quickly because it can be pretty scary for a lot of people. So really building your portfolio for me, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, I started out 50-50 blue chips and rule breaker types. I am comfortable where I've gotten to now with the incredibly volatile ride that I'm going to experience, and that will probably only get more dramatic over time. But I've got my own coping mechanisms for that, and I think everybody needs to consider where they fit on that um, spectrum, basically, before they. Well build. put, Robin. You know, when you talk about being comfortable with the ups and the downs, and they get bigger over time, from a percentage standpoint, the ups and downs don't necessarily change much from one decade or era to the next. The stock market is volatile, as I've often said in the past. It seems to me, stocks always go down faster than they go up. <laughs> Good news, though, they always go up more than they go down. But if we're doing our job right, both as investors ourselves and as people that I hope you're enjoying listening to this week, talking about this craft that we love, if we're doing a good job, then all of us are making more money over the course of time, which means when the market drops 10% in the year 2043, that's going to lose you a lot more money than it is this year in 2018. So, 25 years from now, if everything's going up, the amounts will get bigger, but remind yourself of the percentages, because often it's percentages, not points, that ground us. I, uh, I think of um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg losing a couple billion bucks <laughs> in, uh, in the span of an extremely short period of time and thinking that how lucky he is that he can lose you know $2 billion that quickly. And for me, my last two weeks, I've lost more money than I've ever lost investing. But that's because it's by virtue of the fact that I've made more money than I ever imagined I would. Yep, and I'm probably not the only one who saw the, the article about Jeff Bezos losing more money in two days than any human being ever had. Yeah. So, these things should not surprise any of us. This is going to be what you presumably would hear for the rest of your life, assuming that things continue to go up, which I do assume that they will. So, with all that said, it's also just other human measures, like the number of millionaires today are more than there were a century ago, and there will be far more a century from now, and those kinds of things. So, All right, well, this was a lot of fun, and I want to thank again David Kretzman, Jason Moser, Matt Trogdon, and our new sidekick friend whenever he comes into town, Rob Kralj. Guys, you did a great job with the thinking and the wisdom. You know, the first part of the series a month ago, which was the October 3rd, so you can point any friend to it, October 3rd Rule Breaker Investing Podcast was called Get Started Investing Part 1. And there we were long on steps and actions. We talked about the practicality and what you need to do. What we did this time, the November 7th Part 2 of Get Started Investing, is we thought a little bit more deeply. We went to level 102 above 101, and we tried to share some more wisdom. And I was very pleased and proud to be surrounded by this group of fools that's full of that kind of a wisdom. So, I really want to thank you guys again. And most of all, though, I'd like to thank our listeners for suffering fools gladly, which you do seem to do every week across this and all Motley Fool podcasts. And so, I hope you have a great week. Fool on! As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.